Fresh out the oven, it's Cinema Bums. I'm Wade. And I'm the Witch of the Wood. Cinema Bums, this is a podcast where we watch through every single movie in popular film franchises, one each week to try and track how the storytelling changes over time. Today, we are beginning our new miniseries, The Bum House, covering every film directed by Robert Eggers. We will fully spoil today's film, The Witch, but we will not spoil any future entries in the series. Emmett, how are you doing? I'm doing very spookily and well today. How are you, my friend? I'm doing good, particularly because today we are honored to have a special guest from the Professional Technical Interviewee <laughs> Podcast. Please welcome Taylor Dorsey. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Woo-hoo! What's up? What's up? Dab, 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 dab. We got him. We got him, folks. There's a lot of crossover listeners here from my, my technical interview podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so how what would you ask me if I were on the professional technical interviewee podcast to kick off? How'd you get your first tech job? <laughs> <laughs> it's a riveting show. <laughs> That's the pitch. If you're a software developer, you might like it. If you're not, you probably won't. <laughs> we have had a couple of software developers on before, I think. Hell yeah. In good company. Yeah. Thanks for being here today, Taylor. Very excited to talk about this. I'm very excited. This is my favorite scary movie other than Hereditary and Midsummer, So that makes it top three. That is exciting. I've got to say, watching this for the first time since it came out, I kind of thought that it was on the level in terms of scariness of one of the Aster movies. Oh. Which I hadn't thought before the rewatch. Hmm. I don't know if it's quite up there. You know what? I Actually, I have a very particular moment where I think Eggers could have made it that scary and held mm. back a little bit. Mm. The dad nails them all into that, um, all the kids into the the goat mm. pen, right, or the goat little house thing. And then the witch is there in the middle of the night, um, sucking the teat of the the little goat there. Yeah. And I don't know, one of them like yells, and the witch turns around, and the witch's face is scary. And that moment's a little scary, but that witch's face is like a hundred times less scary than it could be. You know, mm. it could be so much scarier. And I feel like in like hereditary, that moment would have been very, very scary. You know, like there would have been no eyes in that witch or something. Uh, and that's mm. the moment where I was like, OK, this movie is scary, but not quite as scary. It doesn't doesn't need mm. me to pee myself a little. <laughs> yeah, I've got to say, when you finally see the human form of Black Philip at the very end, <laughs> that was a little deflating to me this time. I was like, oh, he's a pirate. <laughs> I forgot that happened altogether. Maybe yes, I just me wasn't too. looking the first time because I looked up and went, wait, what the? Whoa, what? <laughs> Who is this? <laughs> Who's this character? Then I was like, oh, that's the goat. <laughs> yeah, I had the exact same reaction. I feel like just the talking goat is much scarier than like Pirates of the Caribbean crew member in the background. <laughs> totally. Then I had to go and look up. Someone actually, I mean, someone plays Black Phillip, which I didn't realize the first time through. Like there's a, an actor who's credited as Black Phillip, and I'm like, no, Black Phillip's the goat. I read that uh, there was originally much more with the goat, and they just couldn't get the goat to do anything. And apparently the one scene where the dad, where it just like runs into the dad, and the dad is like holding its horns was not planned. <laughs> that just happened. <laughs> That goat does look a little feisty, you know. <laughs> like it's jumping around on his back legs, and I'm like, I don't, I don't know about this goat. And then I, I forgot every death in this movie. So later, when the goat does do its, you know, impaling, I was like, 
whoa, <laughs> I didn't know that happened. Yeah. Basically, every key point of this movie I forgot about. I remember the ending and the beginning and everything else was gone from my memory. So it was a great rewatch. <laughs> okay, me exactly the same. Same after, I was here. watching with Laura who hadn't seen it before. And after the baby died, it was like, I don't know anything that happens in this movie until the last five minutes Uh and there's so much stuff that i picked up on because the language and uh emma and i were talking about this before like the language and the dialect is like so thick and dense Mm -hmm. the first 30 minutes of the movie i'm just trying to like get my head able to understand it watching it for the second time i'm like oh they're revealing key plot points in this dialogue that i (laughs) actually recognize now uh, the first time around is just like, I guess they're just talking about a cup. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This is the only uh, English language movie we've ever done on the podcast that I like had to put on subtitles because I get very distracted by subtitles, but I was like, I can't do it without them. And then I learned a lot more after. My wife asked me if I was going to put subtitles on. I said, nope. I would love to watch it again with subtitles because I want to know what like the whispering mm-hmm. things are, if there's any revealed text in that or stuff like that that gets put in in the subtitles. I did have to watch this one twice. So I had seen it before, but then like I went to watch it this mm-hmm. time around and I like kind of snoozed in the middle of it. I just like fell asleep because I was too freaked out. I was like, my body can't handle it. So I passed out and went to sleep. And I woke up for the last five minutes, which was the only thing I remembered from the original time I watched it. So then I went back and watched it again. Mm -hmm. And all that stuff in the middle was like blowing my mind. Even on the third time that I was watching, I was like, whoa. Like, because I had just like kind of been watching it through half asleep eyes the first time. I mean, it bears rewatching again and again. There's like dense stuff layered throughout this. There's different reads of this movie over how real you think it is. Mm. Like what is really going on, quote unquote, in this movie. I think it bears several rewatches, even if it is, as Wade said, so horrible to behold that you might not ever want to watch it again. (laughs) I love the idea that you stress nap. Like if you were in a fight. You would just fall down on the ground and sleep. <laughs> it's been known to happen. You're taking a test and you just fall asleep instead. <laughs> to be fair, that's better than my stress responses. <laughs> like, I wish I could just sleep. So sometimes I'm like, there is so much going on in this day. You know what needs to happen? Yeah, I do. Yeah. I get that for sure. Emmett, where do you fall on the scariness of this versus the Aster movies? Not as scary. Mm -hmm. I like confidently don't think that this is as scary as this, but I do think it's scary. I think it's scarier than I'd remembered it being. And I think it's haunting in a similar way to the Aster movies. So I think it has like a similar amount of Mm -hmm. lingering force the way that the Aster movies do, whereas its individual images like aren't as frightening. But I feel like as far as like compelling you to think about it afterwards, it's still on that same level. And I think that's what makes it, I think we should talk about this as part of like a, the whole conversation of, about Eggers is like elevated horror. And like, that's kind of what that's supposed to mean, right? It's like horror that makes you think and like makes you continue to mull it over even after you leave more in the way of like a Greek or Elizabethan tragedy, as opposed to something that's more about the violence and the... Mm-hmm. Which is not to be dismissive of the previous horror movies that we've talked about either, because like I don't think elevated horror means good horror necessarily, and I don't think that like slasher means bad. 
But I do think that it's like an interesting distinction. And he's definitely right in, I feel like, on the leading edge of that new like A24 elevated horror thing. I'll say as someone who doesn't watch slasher movies or most horror movies because they just scare me and I don't get a lot else out of them, Mm -hmm. this genre of like elevated horror is immensely appealing to me. Like any Mm -hmm. movie that is even one foot into this world, I'm ready to watch versus like, I heard that that most recent Scream movie was pretty okay. And I was like, yeah, yeah, but I still think it's just going to be kind of a a slasher movie, right? Like I'm not all that interested in that because it's probably just going to keep me awake a little bit tonight and not in like a way that's thoughtful, (laughs) like just in a way where I'm like, oh, I guess I can't go pee in the middle of the night because there's somebody (laughs) with a mask on outside. I feel like I get way more scared of these types of movies than of slasher movies, which is maybe because I also watched these first. The slasher stuff is gory, but that doesn't really freak me out in the way like dissonant chords as you zoom in on the woods for two minutes (laughs) freaks me out. Yeah. Yeah. Along those lines, Emmett, how would you compare this then to the Jordan Peele films we've covered? I think Jordan Peele is a master of a different kind of horror, which I think is more pulse pounding, closer to like a Spielberg almost. Hmm. The creeping dread in Get Out is, like, very specific, and you know what the thing is, like, or you know, like, what is going to come after him. You just don't know when and from what angle it's going to strike. But I think, like, what's horrifying about The Witch is that you truly have no idea what is going on. Put, like, kind of in their shoes of how immensely horrifying and empty the world would have been to them at that time, you know, like, and just those huge woods. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's, it seems like a different kind of horror still than Jordan Peele's. I would probably get hate for this, but I almost put Jordan Peele movies into like a thriller category. Like that used to mm-hmm. be, if someone was like, oh, this is a scary movie. I'm like, is it a a horror movie or is it a thriller? A thriller mm-hmm. I can enjoy, right? We're probably mm-hmm. going to see Sandra Bullock running away from an abusive guy, right? Her abusive husband. Mm-hmm. That's great. I'm on board. Um, if it's gory, scary stuff, I'm not really on board. And I feel like Jordan Peele movies, they're not that, right? It's not Sandra Bullock sad yeah. learning a new life skill so she can overcome her terrible marriage <laughs> with some suspenseful music. They are, I feel like, closer to that than they are to like what the witches, you know? Uh, mm-hmm. Even the what was it us was the second movie even that mm-hmm. one felt like that was certainly i feel like scarier than get out uh, or maybe trying to be weirder in ways but it still felt more like i wasn't scared i was more interested in what was going to happen and it felt like it was scary for those people versus like the witch where i'm like i'm actually scared of <laughs> these situations because the witch might be in my house i don't know <laughs> <laughs> yeah there's nothing satisfying in the witch at any moment sure (laughs) like there is kind of a final girl in that like horror trip sense but like she doesn't really do anything to survive there is no moment that you are excited there's no setup payoffs like it is just watching things fall apart for 90 minutes basically yeah what i love is every time they go to bed too you're like all right they're gonna figure it out tomorrow like something terrible happened but tomorrow's a new day and they're gonna get out of this terrible situation and it just gets worse (laughs) just every day yeah that made me think about the last night in the movie Mm -hmm. when they get locked in the thing which is scary and i do think that that is eggers showing a little more restraint with children than aster shows Because, like, you know something happens to those twins, right? 
Like something happens oh. to the twins and he does not show you what it is. Oh, this movie uh-huh. is pretty graphic with animals, but I think it's a little more restrained with children than some of the other horror stuff is. You know what? You do see those two dead, like eviscerated goats right outside, don't you? Yeah, I think those but are. You don't see the twins. Kind of representative of them in some way. Hmm. There's just the one goat and then Black Phillip, right? Like that's all you see throughout the movie. And then at the end, there's two dead goats and neither of them are Black Phillip. So maybe that. That is representative of the twins. But I agree. Ari would just have the children there dead in her (laughs) hands. You know, like they would be in her hands, bloody. Mm -hmm. But the mom says you've got their blood on your hands or on your fingers or something. But that's all we ever hear about whatever Mm, their fate may be. This movie reminds me a lot of the movie Saint Maud. That's the movie that I was most reminded of watching this. Another movie where there's an encounter with the holy or unholy other, there's a human cost to it. Yes, Love St. Maud. That movie does eventually give you more of a hint of what is real and what is not. That's Whereas true. this movie, I think, is sort of always showing the literal version of what's going on, and you can sort of play the mind game if you want of what is or isn't real. Yeah. I have all sorts of thoughts on this, but wait, I want you to get into that more structured stuff first before I get into this weird tangent. Well, today we're talking about The Witch, the first film written and directed by Robert Eggers. We'll talk about his background a little more later. The score was by Mark Corvin, who did the 90s horror film Cube and also goes on to work with Eggers again on The Lighthouse. It runs an hour and 33 minutes Made $40 million on a budget of 3.5. Not bad. Critically acclaimed at the time of release, which was February 19th, 2016, by A24. And it was one of their first films released, too, I want to say. Did you, Taylor, see this in theaters when it came out? Absolutely not. I was still (laughs) shunning all horror movies at that point because I was not aware of the term elevated horror. So therefore, horror to me just meant movies I didn't like and made me a little scared. Uh, Did you see this one in theaters? I did not. No, I remember seeing previews for it and also seeing previews for Hansel and Gretel and thinking they looked very similar and just giving both of them a, like, eek, pass. (laughs) (laughs) I did see this in theaters. It was very early into my journey of liking horror. I don't even remember why, but I had seen It Follows. Mm. And I loved It Follows, Mm. which came out the year before. It's one of my favorite movies, just like straight up now. I had seen that at home, and so I was like, okay, maybe I'm kind of into this stuff. I had watched with past and future guest Isaac Beckner, I had watched The Babadook, and then had to walk home alone at night from his house after watching it. Damn. (laughs) Which is a brutal experience. Harsh. I still remember when I watched The Babadook with past and future uh, guest Evan Scott Hustle. He and I were more frightened of that movie than anyone has ever been of any movies. It was so scary. (laughs) (laughs) I remember it was pretty late when I got home, too. And I had these three roommates. I didn't know them super well, but no one was home. So I literally like locked all the doors and was like waiting in the bathroom for someone else to get home. (laughs) This is why I didn't watch scary movies for most of my life. <laughs> I watched like Snow White and the Seven Dwarves and like the mean witch in that freaked me out. And from then on, mm. I'm like, I don't watch scary movies. <laughs> I was like, okay, maybe I could do this one. 
And I remember going to the theater and I was like, if it gets too bad, I'll leave. If it, if this is too much for me, I will just walk out. And I remember that it wasn't too much until like the last 10 minutes of the movie. And I was like, well, at this point, I've got to stay. Yeah. <laughs> but it was like, when you see the mom with the crow, that's when I was like, <laughs> this is the point. Yeah. This is when I would like to leave the theater. That's probably one of the most vivid images from the movie, for sure. Yeah. And like, again, another thing that as soon as I saw it, oh, I remember that this happened. But running up to it, I was not like, oh, brace myself because there's about to be a crow. <laughs> Just pick it away. And that scene, is it's not like a brief you don't just get a single still image or something like that. It's like that crow is munching away there for like four or five pecks. That's like a solid five, six, seven second scene. Yeah, it's nasty. It is rough. Yeah. Okay, so Taylor, here's the big question. Would you give the witch a flop or a bop? Uh, it's a super bop for me. Hmm. Again, it's in this world of like elevated horror that I have grown to love. I also grew up in Vermont, so this feels like it could have happened in my backyard, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. While the language is a little tough to get around, like everything else in this feels like it. I also grew up very religious, so a lot of this feels like it could have mm-hmm. happened in my childhood um, if my dad would have just made some different decisions. So uh, <laughs> it feels very relatable to me in a way that um, is, is a little scary. Emmett, flop or bop? I'm going to say this is a bop for sure. This is a scary ass movie with a lot of really excellent performances. Basically everyone in this kills mm-hmm. it, literally. And it's creepy as hell and tight. 94 minutes. Wait, flop or bop? It is a bop. It is absolutely a bop in the sense that it is totally effective and everything about it works. I will say that I would, I do believe it is a cursed picture and I would never like to view it again. Um, I was very, I was just very like upset watching it this time in a way I really didn't expect to be. The whole movie kind of feels like the dinner scene in Hereditary where it's just like the last hour is just the family imploding and things are so chaotic and scary that I had a hard time watching it for sure. But I do think it is great. I think it's great to talk and think about too. When we were like 20 minutes into the movie, I was like, oh, maybe this series was a mistake. Maybe I'm actually, maybe (laughs) I don't actually want to watch this. But now I feel very excited to continue talking. Well, I mean, the Norseman probably is going to go hard, but I feel like this, the witch is more difficult than the lighthouse. I feel like, I mean, I don't think the lighthouse is really a horror movie, but I don't know what I would call it. Yeah. But I wouldn't call it a horror movie. I don't know if I would rewatch the lighthouse. I would rewatch the witch, but for Hmm. different reasons, not because I'm scared of the lighthouse, just because I mean, you mentioned it's a tight 94 minutes, right? Like, I feel Mm. like this movie is constructed very well in the way that, like, it would be difficult to be like, all right, that's a good stopping point, you know? Like, there's there's really no, like, slack in this movie. So once it's on, it's on. I think The Lighthouse is is well constructed as well, but there's definitely points where I was like, I could be done with this movie now and feel comfortable, (laughs) like, (laughs) shutting it off. The Lighthouse is one of those movies that feels like it's six hours long. <laughs> like, yeah. you just lose all sense of time and space while you're watching it. Totally. Walking out of that theater was one of the weirdest experiences. You know when you walk out of yeah, a theater and it's still daylight? Was, didn't we watch it during the daytime or something? Or come out Probably. And it's still daylight and you're like, whoa. Uh, I feel like I've lived in age. Your eyes hurt a little. <laughs> yeah. 
smell like stale popcorn. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Taylor, you said that something happened to you when you tried to watch this movie. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I was, I don't know, it's probably about halfway in when the sun, I forgot that the sun comes back. Once the sun goes out and gets lost in the woods and gets, you know, does whatever with the witch, I thought the sun was gone. So the sun <laughs> shows back up and is like naked body falling over and I'm like, I forgot about this. Mm-hmm. So for context, I am in Moab, Utah, which is kind of the desert. We've been here like almost three weeks now. Hasn't rained once, but I had the the window open or the the sliding door open and as the sun is like going into like his ecstasy like like fever where he's just like i don't know either saying praises to jesus or the devil or something right (laughs) he like kind of does this crescendo and right as he ends and falls back on the pillow immediately for the first time since we've been here it just started storming just like just downpour (laughs) outside of my house and i looked over and then i looked back um at the tv and then they like the wife starts screaming that the son's dead right like she realizes that and then the rain stops like like 15 seconds after it started and i was like i don't know (laughs) oh no Uh, not feeling good Damn, that is a cursed film. It's pretty rough. That's definitely the spookiest thing that happened. That's when you got to ask your neighbors if it was raining for them, too, or if it was just your house. Wait, I'm not going to lie. I mentioned it this morning (laughs) to somebody because someone was like, oh, what'd you do last night? And I was like, oh, I watched this movie. Uh, Yeah, something scary happened. And they're like, oh, yeah. And then I was like, yeah, the rain started last night. Like waiting for them to like be like, yeah, it, it rained last night. And I was like, yeah, so it happened right at this time. And she's like, oh, yeah, that is scary. It hasn't rained, you know, in quite a while. And I'm like, okay, so it actually happened. Great. <laughs> it hasn't rained in 30 years. Yeah, for real. Turns out that CrossFit instructor was actually a ghost the whole time. <laughs> Yeah, that scene with the kid is crazy when he comes back. It's it's such a good performance by that kid, first of all. I mean, Incredible. Unbelievable. And I think that in that like last moment where he pops up before he dies, he is having what the mom describes somewhere around that. And I think it's a little bit earlier, like the erotic vision of meeting Christ that the mom talks about. That is like what is happening to the kid and what yeah. all of his dialogue is about. And then he just dies. And it's so weird. There is yeah. some weird stuff. And like that's the <laughs> stuff where I feel like I should have thrown the subtitles on because the mom is like talking about like Christ in a weird way. And I'm like, uh, what's going on here? Because I can only half understand what she's saying. And I was like, is she saying what I think she's saying? And then the son does say like he kisses my cheek or something like this. Definitely mm. some interesting stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe it was because I watched with subtitles, but I definitely just caught on about the ways that this is like all about Christianity in ways that I hadn't really before. Yeah. Like it is about that, but it's also in this time where like the church is a resource. Like you have to be a part of the church and they're sort of, they are like forsaken because they've been kicked out of the church. They no longer have access just to like the basic resources that everyone else has. Yeah. And so much of it is like the mom wanting to mend those bridges and the dad not being willing to. Is it really ever clear what they're, what the heresy is that he's kicked out for? That's what I was going to ask. I like rewatched that scene and I was like, do we know? I don't think we ever know. I think it is clear that he is more hardcore with them or than them. 
like it's not for him being lax it's that he thinks they are doing things that they shouldn't oh and that's why he's getting kicked out which is pretty crazy because if you think about like all of the people who came they were like if christians are getting divorced i would rather sail off the side of the earth than stay in my country where that is happening like the most hardcore religious people were all the people that came and founded our country and this guy is too religious for them (laughs) so (laughs) you know that it's something intense but you don't really know what the daughter prays to ask for forgiveness for playing on the sabbath at one point (laughs) she enjoyed her day (laughs) yeah i mean that's pretty religious they're really that that Puritan. And this is so interesting because I've read the book that Stacy Schiff wrote about like the Salem witch trials called The Witches. And it has really interesting differing scenarios for how that panic may have started, which I think are all like very mm. relevant to this movie, especially the one about a hallucinogenic grain mold in like the corn you see the rotten corn and it's the only thing they have to eat Mm -hmm. Uh, and they're eating the corn that is poisoning them and making them ill which is why they're like having all like they have all these horrible illness symptoms but it's also making them trip balls basically and like see all sorts of horrible things and if you're a highly highly religious person very uneducated about like what is actually around you have no idea there's these big threatening woods and you're raised on hearing about devils and witches and like the wrath of god and stuff like that and all of a sudden you're tripping face out in the woods where bad stuff is already happening of course you're going to have a, a horror vision of witches and like all sorts of devils and horrible things happening to you. And so like, there's a big theory for what may have started at least some of like the more fantastical rumors from the, uh, the time of the actual Salem witch trials, but also that these people were so repressed and like, so devoid of anything pleasant. Like, like you said about like playing on the Sabbath, like having a new dress, having, getting to keep a silver cup, like getting to have just like the right. devil tempts her at the end with the taste of butter to us, like such simple, such on the simple end of pleasure, but to them, like something that means so much, they have so little sensuous stuff in their life. And then that, that could also be another way, like another reason that all of this imagery about the devil is like the yellow bird. He offered them dresses. He had these books. He had like many accoutrements. He had like gold. He offered people, you know, like he offered, he was always offering people like flashy, lovely things that you want to touch, things that you want to eat, you know, and it has to do with like a people both starving for actual food because you're living on the edge of a, of an unfriendly continent and being starved for any sort of, you know, they didn't, they didn't have art. They didn't even believe in having stained glass in the church windows or things like that. Pretty crazy. The glass window thing I really keyed into this time. And then it is like, I don't know. It's also kind of like an interesting immigrant story. Maybe I'm thinking that too, because we just watched Paddington. Mm. But, you know, like that the older members of the family can still remember life in England. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of unclear what led them here. But like they left a nice life for a much harsher life. And now they have even a much harsher life than they had then. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I just think all of those relationship dynamics are really interesting. 
it's almost like there's a sense of loss for what they had that's coming up at the same time of the sense of loss of family members members that they're having throughout the movie. Mm-hmm. When the daughter and the the son are both, it's a scene where they're out in the woods together, and she's like trying to tell him, like, "Don't you remember this specific time in in England, right?" And he's like, "I remember that that happened, but I don't remember, you know, any of those details really, right?" Mm-hmm. Like that's like so telling of like, oh, he's he's almost lived an entirely different life that's terrible compared to her, where she's like, oh, you know, like it was good, but we came here for a reason, right? And even the mom at a certain point, right, is like. Like I want to go back, right? Like I miss, yeah. I miss being there. Instead, we're stuck here, right? This is terrible, uh, yeah. and it's interesting. Like it's a loss for like their culture and their home that they're feeling at the same time as they're feeling like loss of actual immediate family members too. What about the rabbit? What is the rabbit supposed to symbolize? The rabbit and the goat, I think, are both ciphers for Satan. Hmm. That they're like different types of extensions. The rabbit is deeply unsettling. That there's a comparison to Jordan Peele film rabbits, creepy ass rabbits, mm-hmm. man. But this thing to me is like the the ears almost look like the horns of the devil. Uh, the rabbit is also associated with like the trickster. To their world, the tr- like the devil as trickster is kind of like the most frightening. The devil as flashy, gaudy trickster is like kind of the most terrifying version of him. Like the and like the sensuous, seductive witch is the other is like the other side of that too. Right. Yeah, I don't think I noticed the rabbit really the first time through. I just thought it was a rabbit that kept showing up. <laughs> Not mm-hmm. that there was anything to it. And then this one was like, Oh, every time the rabbit shows up, something bad happens as well. Right. Like they lose the dog in the first one and the eye mm-hmm. gets all messed up. And then mm-hmm. I think the rabbit actually leads the kid to the witch's house, right? The son to the witch's house. Yeah. I read somewhere that rabbits were supposed to be like a sign of good luck back in the day. Well, you know, you still have a rabbit's foot, right? Oh, sure. So it's almost like you're saying it like the trickster, like taking the form of a rabbit because they know that they'll be drawn towards it, thinking mm-hmm. that this is a good omen. And in actuality, it's leading them to something bad. Yeah. Mm. An interesting idea. Yeah. I kind of wonder that about Caleb once he comes back. Like, has he been programmed to behave in some mm. sort of way? Like, even the final vision, is that just, like, teasing the mom for having confessed that she had the same vision? Or is that something actually happening to Caleb? The mom's behavior at the end, too, also after she has signed the book, is a little confusing to me. Because she seems more lucid than most of the other characters do. So I'm not totally sure about all of that. Does she even sign the book? I think she does says sign it and i'll give you what you want right oh so scary so scary him holding the little baby in the corner yeah yeah and the cup there in the background too that's the first thing she's i noticed that this time yeah it's like right there that's what she sees when she wakes up and it's like oh actually when i watched it this moment oh okay this to me means it's more of a fantasy the first time i watched it through i was like wait is this real are they they actually back or not Mm -hmm. that crow scene though still the worst part yeah yeah i mean the scene with the baby is pretty bad too at the very beginning oh yeah you know what i forgot the peekaboo that that scene happened so soon Emma and i were talking about this it's so early in the movie when that baby gets taken and it's mm-hmm. like the second or third scene that that happens which is insane to me i thought it was like a half hour into the movie but that it happens that fast and now knowing that it happens watching each time that she did peekaboo i was like 
oh no, which one is it? Because what I love about that scene is they just stay on her face the whole time. So mm-hmm. you you see, you know, happiness, 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 and then happiness, a little bit of surprise, and then terror, right? And then finally it cuts to the, the woods and you just see the, the one little moving bush, right? Uh, and like that scene, I think, is sets a tone for the whole movie where you're like, oh, I can't, I can't expect, you know, this to go how I think it's going to go. There's always something new that's going to happen. Yeah. Probably one of the, my favorite scenes in the movie. I mean, this is something that Aster, I think, gets more credit for. But there is a lot of the the shot of the character looking at something terrifying before it's revealed, like, what it is. There's a lot of the father doing that, too, where, like, you don't know what they're reacting to. But it's clear something has happened to the baby from the way she's looking at where the baby was, you know? A wolf. Oh, man. This movie also keys into one of my one of the absolute most terrifying things to me, which is a dog barking at nothing. Just like any time, like mm. the dog freaking out and, and barking at something that you don't see. This <laughs> is terrifying. Yeah, truly. So speaking of that baby scene, how do you guys feel about the fact that they just like show us the witch basically right at the beginning? They show us, you know, there is a witch living in these woods and she took the baby and and there's no real ambiguity about that. The whole movie. I didn't remember that there Uh was a witch like like I knew that later in the movie they showed it, but I did not remember that scene or that it's like there's several scenes. It's like the witch is preparing the baby and rubbing the baby and doing whatever she does with the baby. And it's crazy to me that I either blocked all of that out or just didn't register it because I remember watching the rest of the movie the first time thinking like, you know, I think it there's a real witch, but I don't really know, you know. Maybe to me, I'm thinking it's still like part of a, you know, sometimes horror movies are like, oh, this is a fever dream thing or something, right? Where it's mm. almost this tangent where I feel like it could be in that world. They're showing you like, oh, this is a possibility. Um, but they're like, oh, but we haven't really seen any of it, other evidence of that. Um, but watching it through this time, it was interesting to me. I guess I like it. There are a couple of weird scenes pretty early in the movie. So I, I think I like it more for that than telling you that there's a witch, you know, confirmed. Right. Uh-huh. I just like the boldness of putting those scenes <laughs> that soon. And she's yeah. literally mushing up a baby. <laughs> <laughs> well, that is so crazy. <laughs> and then she rubs it all over herself. So when she shows up later, I was like, oh, is, was it supposed to be like a youth potion or something? But then you see her hand that looks old. So I guess that it's maybe more of how Caleb sees her and less of how she actually looks. Hmm. Do you like the witch reveal, Emma? Well, see, I'm still not totally convinced there are witches. I think it still could be all them chewing on that bad corn, getting violently ill and going crazy and killing each other. And then like seeing some crazy stuff as that happens. Mm Mm-hmm. I think that could be what's going on. I think there's also a chance that it's real witches. What I think is very strange is the final reveal with all of the witches in the woods and her going to them. Hmm. That's the one that I can't make heads or tail of. I don't know. I'm a little torn on whether it's an uplifting ending or not. Truly no pun intended. Because in some ways, like... She has found a community and she seems relieved to be like done with it. You can't really tell like, is she ecstatic and happy at the end? Or is she like laughing through the tears? Like whatever is happening to her in that really incredible, intense, like last 30 seconds just of on her face, you know? There's also the question of like, has she been doing it the whole time too? Because she could have been in on it the whole time. 
the last moment could be a reveal that she has, in fact, been in on this the entire time. And that everything that she got accused of all the way through with the kids and everything is true. She's a tricky one. That's more of what I thought the first time. But I do think the movie kind of falls apart thematically. Were that the case? Like, I think it kind of needs to be about her as, like, the crux of this false accusation. But it is really interesting to me that we never see any characters by themselves, pretty much, in the movie. Like, it is, like, very close to an objective perspective in Mm. terms of, like, several family members are together in the scene at all times. Yeah. I found her her final, like, conversion, if that's the right word, to be, like, really fast. But mm. she also just killed her mother. So, you know, did you kind of and watch her dad and everyone else die while she's screaming? I love you. I mean, that is such such a moment when she's like just like yelling at her mom that she loves her as she stabs her. Yeah. So I thought it was fast. But my thought immediately after that, when I was watching it this time was eh, I'd probably do the same thing. She's screwed at yeah. that point, right? Like she doesn't really have a lot of options. Yeah. And it's pitched to her in a way that is very appealing, right? Like, do you want to taste butter? Great. Like, do you want to travel the world? <laughs> cool. And I can't remember what else he says. Basically, it's like, do you want to have a purpose, right? Like, maybe that purpose isn't the most wholesome purpose, but like I'm giving you somewhere to go, and literally everything else in your life has just been destroyed. Maybe I destroyed it, but you know, what other choice do you have? Yeah. And my question for both of you is, would you take that opportunity if you had one shot? <laughs> I mean, what else? Like, yeah, like what other options do you have, especially in that predicament? Because like if you go to anyone else, like you're the daughter of the crazy heretic and all of your family is dead. She would she would be burned as a witch if she went to tell anybody about it. So she might as well become a real witch. If so- she even made it there. Yeah. Like, high likelihood she dies trying... Like, why wouldn't Black Phillip just go, all right, well, then you're dead. Apparently, it's a two-day walk to get there. So, you know, that's terrible. Mm. All manner of bad things could happen to you in two days in that kind of environment. So I'm taking it. I'm signing that book. (laughs) He doesn't need to guide my arm. (laughs) I got it. I got it, BP. (laughs) Captain, my captain. I'm in. The nudity is interesting, too. Like, all all the witches are naked the whole time you see them. And Caleb comes back naked. And that is, like, the devil's request of her. You know, he's like, to speak to me, you've got to get rid of the dress. Yeah. That's this whole, like, nature versus God thing, right? Like... The or nature versus religion, or anyway. like versus civilization, basically. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, he plays with that a little bit throughout the movie too. Of the sun, like the sun's constant gaze mm. at her, yeah, is kind of a theme throughout. Mm-hmm. I think this came out before. Yeah, it came out way before Queen's Gambit, right? But it's the same leading yeah. lady, right? This is, is the first wild. thing Anya Taylor Joy ever did. The first right. film thing in any capacity that she did. That's a pretty incredible performance. Yeah. Yeah, the stuff with the brother is interesting and kind of sets up his like downfall with the witch when she's tempting him. But then also I think it's really interesting that the mother blames it on her after the fact. Like I think that is a very true thing about Christianity but about like lineage in general, like that the mom is sort of blaming the desires of the son on the daughter, you know, and holding that against her in the final moment. 
She could have just kept that top tie even tighter. <laughs> it's very funny because we were talking about how this was like one of the first elevated horrors. When you look at like the original theatrical poster for this, it's the end image. Like it's Anya Taylor-Joy naked with her butt to the camera. And it looks like they have made her like extra curvy. And there's <laughs> like a bold font. And it is like selling it as sexy teen horror. <laughs> Which, if you went into this movie expecting a sexy teen horror, you are in for a bad ride. Yeah, I think that also plays a factor why I didn't see this movie in theaters. Because I remember it as, like, the movie with the goat that looked pretty scary, you know? (laughs) Which, like, isn't really what this movie is, you know? Yeah. I just want to mention those horrible little children. I think their names are are, are Merced and Joris. Merced and Joris are, you know, they're messed up. They're the worst. They're terrible. They, I think they are. I think they're the real witches. I think they're really. I think they're conspiring with Black Philip the whole time. I really do. Well, they are. I think they're horrible little I mean, gremlins. You learn that at the end, don't yeah. you? Yeah. Do you? Do you learn it at the end? Do you or do you? I think you do. Right. That they are with him the whole time. Like once they're alone with him, you get that. What made me think that was because it cuts to um, her sleeping and mm-hmm. them both awake, just staring at the goat, right, to mm-hmm. Bla- at Black Phillip, a Black Phillip staring back at them. And I'm like, these kids wouldn't be awake unless he's talking to them, right? The whole time. Yeah. And she says it like she says that he has revealed his voice to you and they don't really say anything. And I think that's why they can't say the prayer or whatever is because they are under right. the influence yeah. of Black Phillip the whole time. And pretty wild pretty baller that she calls it and knows it before they've even seen like anything else i feel like i didn't catch that so much the first time but knowing it was happening this time i was like she really says it like 30 minutes before it really pops off what exactly what is going on yeah well we can't say she has too much foresight because she also jokes around with her sister and says (laughs) i'm the witch and i'm a ichia which (laughs) just royally screws her through the rest of the movie. <laughs> like, she <laughs> set herself up just to get destroyed by those twins. Yeah, like, if you have twins like that, you gotta, like, quit it with the loose lips if you got twins that look like that at you. You know what I'm saying? You gotta be like... <laughs> totally. I know it's I know it's all in the family, but you gotta keep that tight because they might use it against you at any moment. They got they got those shifty looking faces. <laughs> you know what? The first time you see them, though, I like. I think it's a nice nod to The Shining because they're like skipping, holding hands, singing together, right? And mm. and immediately I was like, oh, I forgot how how much I don't like these kids. <laughs> I don't know. There is something almost in there. I don't. I don't want to say that twins are scary. <laughs> <laughs> One of my best friends is a twin. But there's just something about that idea of, like, there being two of a person. And you don't normally see that. And here, (laughs) there are two of a person. I know that Edgar's little brothers are twins, so I feel like he's pulling on some influences there. Really? Yeah. Interesting. He grew up in New England, or in in New Hampshire, Mm -hmm. which to me was like, oh, yeah, okay. So he also grew up in an area that looked just like this and (laughs) probably spent some time in the woods where he was like, I had... Is a little too much. Yeah, let me um, talk about it because I did a little bit of research on him as we're starting this off. 
in terms of where all of his influences come from, his grandfather was a geologist in Wyoming. His mother was a ballet dancer. She moved to New York and she had a recurring role on One Life to Live, a soap opera. He doesn't know his biological father, but from a very young age, he was raised by Walter Eggers, his mom's husband, who is a Shakespeare professor at the University of New Hampshire. That's so cool. He, Walter Eggers, and his mom have twin kids who are his younger brothers. Wow. The Norseman, that's interesting because I obviously studied theater, just theater person, but having Shakespeare from that young probably will inform that movie. It's interesting. He's got a Shakespearean scholar for his stepdad, and he's doing a production of Hamlet. (laughs) (laughs) There'll be no behind-the-scenes drama on that one, I imagine. I think he does just consider him his father, though. Like, he took his last name, and he's the only daddy ever knew, so. Hey, Robbie. Robbie, come in here a minute. I got some notes on your new flick. (laughs) Just wanted to to let you know. No, no, don't worry about your mom. I already told her to go to bed. I just wanted to talk to you. No, come into my office. I know I told you you're not supposed to be in here. Come on in. It's okay. Just tonight. All right. Act one, scene one. Well, you start a little slow. Um, uh, I'll say that. Uh, no, no, no. You don't have to pay me for this. And, and credit would be nice, but but that's fine. I know you've probably already done most of that. It's going to be hard to make these changes as is. Oh. He's probably a wonderful man. I'm sure. I'm sure he is. <laughs> okay, old Robert. He's doing theater in high school. His senior project is a, a stage recreation of Nosferatu. That is wild. <laughs> that I is saw so that, cool. and that is absolutely wild. <laughs> and he was going to direct a film remake. I Sorry if I'm stepping on your, no, 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 your no. toes here. He was going to direct a film remake of Nosferatu uh, as his second film. Uh-huh. And then whatever happened, happened. But he had cast Harry Styles <laughs> as the vampire. <laughs> and, like, I don't know. <laughs> I would have watched that, but I'm not going to say I would have enjoyed that. Just seeing that headline, I went, well, I'm glad that didn't happen. Yeah, so I think like from this Nosferatu basically becomes his like white whale. He's always sort of like, oh, that's what I'm going to do next. And then it doesn't ever end up happening, at least so far. But that is sort of the thing he is obsessed in. Okay, he moves to New York in 2001. He goes to AMDA and he basically works as a production designer for actual like off-Broadway theaters and for a bunch of short films including one that he wrote and directed in 2008, which was an adaptation of The Telltale Heart, which is sort of him like writing and directing for the first time. Uh, He writes this script in 2010 for The Witch. The very first version, he says, was broken into five acts, which each one just from the perspective of one of the family members. I don't think I would have liked that movie as much, but I think that's a good way to write it probably. Um, He says the script was based on his visits to Plymouth Plantation in Massachusetts as a child, uh, and that most of the dialogue is taken directly from the diary of John Winthrop, the first governor of the Massachusetts Bay Colony. Whoa. What happened to John? (laughs) Most of the dialogue? How much? (laughs) Taken from his diary. (laughs) Diary? (laughs) This man had a rough life. He's like writing down, you will never believe what my daughter said to me today. 
Dear Diary, Thomason has done it once more. She has flouted me in front of my wife and the twins and my freaky son. I can stand it no longer. I will sell my wife's cup tomorrow so I can buy untarnished grain. Yes, yes, the cup, the cup shall fetch a fair price at the market. The market, the market where I see the beautiful women in dresses of soft material. But no, no, I must not think of it. I must not. No, I must go into the woods and there abuse myself terribly. Wow. Was that a direct citation? <laughs> yes, I have it. I have it here in front of me. Emmett <laughs> got the diary before before the recording. <laughs> Ordered it straight from Plymouth. <laughs> what what tour was Egger on? <laughs> you know, I, li- I grew up in New England. I never saw none of this. <laughs> this. This man, I just went to Boston and saw them reenact the Boston Tea Party. This man <laughs> watched a whole family get destroyed over the course of 90 minutes. Like, I would have tipped someone on that tour, please. <laughs> Did they have a real goat? Like, I don't understand. It is very funny, and yet also feels very accurate that he's like the loving tribute to the history of New England, the utmost <laughs> historical accuracy, the most I can give back to the community, is this movie about a family absolutely murdering each other. <laughs> oh, man. Wow. Yeah, so he does it as an indie movie. He takes four years to source the $3.5 million of the budget, some of which came from the producer, director Chris Columbus, director of the Home Alone and Harry Potter movies. Whoa. Very funny match there, but sort of the guy who believes in him at the beginning. Uh, And then they shoot it three weeks in Canada, spring 2014. Eggers was 31 when he started it. They built the cabin entirely using period accurate tools. They didn't um, use any <laughs> any electric saws or anything. All of the indoor stuff is shot only with candles and natural lighting. It's all just like his production designer sense being like as period accurate as possible. Hey, Robbie, Robbie, can you come in here for a minute? Uh, look, I, I know I, I, I just have some notes, okay? If you're going to do a movie, do it right, all right? And I'm not saying this because I cut you a check. You know, I did give you that, that $2,500 to help you get this thing off the ground. But I'm just saying, why use all those fancy lighting equipments? Use candles. That's what they used back in the day, Robbie. Just use candles. That's how you can shoot this movie. You know, and, and I saw them up there with the tractor. What are they doing with that? Why don't you hoe the land yourself, Robbie? That's how they would have done it back then. No, no, I don't want to hear that would take too long. You know what takes a long time? Doing something the right way, Robbie. All right? It is funny. I really felt this time, like, not to take away from it, but you can tell it was shot for, like, no money. Like, you can totally see a version of this movie without the craft like the dedication of him and the actors and the music and the atmosphere that just looks like the lamest home video you've ever seen. The setting itself is not that complex, right? Like you yeah. could film this movie on a backyard in New England, you know, <laughs> like it's, it's woods. Like That's the set. The, I mean, the most, like, I feel like extensive cool piece was that little witch hobbit hole. I was mm-hmm. like, damn, 
it put some money into that thing. But everything else, it's like, yeah, he just like stumbled across someone's house and was like, hey, you mind if we film here? <laughs> We're not going to do anything weird, I promise. <laughs> all of his movies, all three of them, including the upcoming Northmen, are the same team, like the same cinematographer, editor, production designer, costume designer. I think that like this is just how he works, you know, with a huge attention to detail. With storyboarding the whole movie before he starts and with like basically setting up the camera and doing these long takes and just like doing it until they get it all in one take. That is nuts. It read something about how he likes the long takes because he says you can feel the like the tension building in a scene more and like the pacing of a scene in these longer takes. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. I haven't really thought of the length of a take informing tension within a scene. But I guess it makes it makes a lot of sense. I, I haven't thought too much about this, but maybe that's almost a staple of elevated horror is some of these longer takes where you're seeing characters go through emotions instead of just cuts of a scary mm-hmm. thing and a scary face. You're actually seeing someone feel something, which is different than, you know, seeing a blood splatter. Well, you've got to think for the actors too, like if you've done a six minute take twenty times and you're five minutes into it and you haven't screwed up yet, that is going to be a lot more tense than doing just like little 30 second clips of everything. Yeah, I feel like the acting is often better when you get to see that there's like long takes of it. I I do love that, especially in something like this, where it is such a simple setting, like the single setting is so simple. It's like, well, then why we don't need to move the camera very much can just like stay in one place like Mm -hmm. you very slowly get to know the entire feel of that farm you like see each setting from a very steady angle and like see everybody coming and going and doing their thing but i i feel like it does like you say build that build that tension too and because it's always framed against those woods those woods lingering over and above like the whole thing like the mouth of the beast it's funny you mentioned that the locations you regularly see in the movie are so regular almost so small that whenever you cut to something that you don't see that often, it's almost like jarring, right? Like whenever they go to the creek, I'm like, where are we? Like, how far is this creek away? Is this like close to the house? Is this really far? Like, I don't really know. And then the same thing when they're like cutting down the crops. I'm like, I know this, like you can see that kind of in the distance by the house. Once in a while, you just cut to this angle that you don't normally see in the movie. And it's almost like, it's almost scary in itself. Like we're in a whole different part of this, this set. It's interesting. I felt that I I think I made up in my head that there was a time jump after the baby gets killed, but there really isn't. You get the impression that they get out there, they build this house maybe over like six months, and then in a week, it's like a week from when the baby dies to when everyone is dead. I was going to ask if y'all had a sense for the time, because it does feel like they get kicked out. And, and then I was like, oh, then it all happens. But I was like, no, there's no house when they show up. And they plant crops. So that's at least one season, right? So it's like six months to a year, something mm-hmm. like that. Yeah, it does feel like within four or five days, right? Like, like I think each time you see the night, that's the first time. Maybe there's a little bit of time after the baby, right? Because she says, like, since whatever the baby's name is, Ben's gone. I've just been a shrew, right? right. But I don't know if it's much maybe maybe it's two weeks three weeks right yeah she's not like screaming so maybe she's had some time to grieve it feels like it's been less than a month all right now it is time for mvp our most valuable player other than the protagonist so i'm gonna take just anya taylor joy off of this other than thomason who is everyone's mvp for this movie taylor you have first pick here 
for me, it's absolutely Harvey Scrimshaw who plays Caleb. Mm. That kid's like 13 in this movie and like just crushes every scene yeah. from like the beginning to the end. Just like layers of nuance within his performance handles what I'm assuming would be very difficult dialogue to deliver probably more effectively than half of the other people in this movie. Um, and just like, I don't know, balances a line of like, you kind of think he's doing dumb things, but you also like want him to be successful throughout. I don't know. I, I love his performance in this movie. Yeah, it's it's unbelievably good. I mean, for a child actor, like all the stuff he has to do is crazy. Yeah, he's wildly good in this. The scene of him going to the witch's cabin is like such a good encapsulation of like that Christian guilt that he's going through. And like he plays it so perfectly. He's like crying, like terrified at, but he's continuing to move forward towards her, right? Like uh-huh. that to me, I like, like screaming at my television, like just go away, <laughs> just turn around. <laughs> you know, you don't want this, but he does, you know? Yeah. It's great. Emmett, MVP. All right, I'm going to give it to the dad. The dad in this mm-hmm. has, like, probably the majority of the dialogue. Or, like, he has, like, a yeah. good chunk of it. He is, he is, like, probably the co-lead with Anya Taylor-Joy. He just says some wild stuff in this movie. And he <laughs> says it with the straightest of faces. With a face you could cut yourself on. I mean, like, the man is horrifying. If he wasn't here, this movie isn't as scary by a lot. Like, if you had a weaker performance there, you know what I mean? It just, like, it just wouldn't work. Mm -hmm. Because that's the other thing that, like, that's the two extremes that she's between. Like, the witches in the woods and then this terrifying father figure at home. And there's, like, all of these times where he is, like, trying to connect with the family and, like, you see him wanting to connect in, like, a bunch of different times with different members of the family. Like, physically, he is close to them. He is putting himself, like, with them. You can see that he is caring for them. But then the words that he is saying to them about religion and about, like, how they're they have like a responsibility to something besides each other as a family that they that he like actually takes precedent of religion before even before individual members of the family which is what it is when you're willing to like kill your child because you think they're a witch i mean and like that's crazy and it's it's very sad and but i think he plays it very well he plays it so that you see it as both sad and horrific you know so that's who I would go with. Rewatching it, I loved seeing or picking up on like the nuance of him. He's almost shifting teams throughout the movie. You could be mm-hmm. like, he's like, all right, I'm standing with my wife. And then later he's like, uh, all right, didn't like that. I'm standing with Thomason, right? Like you see him like shifting throughout these. And then eventually it gets to the point where he's like, I, I can't trust anyone. And then he gets stabbed by <laughs> black Phillip and he's dead it's like he finally like almost thinks for himself uh and you know then then finally pays the price but i love watching him like you can see him shift between these these two different people like what he believes is true and what isn't he's an actor ralph Innison, who i mean i think his incredible voice is like a big part Mm. of the performance here too Mm -hmm. and i think of him as just like being in this and being the green knight And I'm always like, people should use that guy more. And I looked him up, and he's in Game of Thrones. He's in three Harry Potter movies. He's in Chernobyl. He's in the British office. Like, he's a guy who's out here working. This man works a lot. I'm looking at his IMBD. He's got 137 acting credits. (laughs) He's in all these things. 
He's in the IT crowd. Emmett, he's playing Amicus Caro in the last three Harry Potter movies. Do you know who that is? A truly insignificant Death Eater character. It seems like that's kind of his role is to play like a semi-significant character in a big franchise or TV series from what I could see. But he's going to be in The Northman as well as a captain. Nice. That might be a big role. He's the Green Knight. Yeah, he's the Green Knight and she is Queen Guinevere. Right. In the Green Knight. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. And then they're oh. both going to be uh, in The Northman as well. Uh, I'm seeing here that he is in The Last Jedi as a senior First Order officer. Wow. He was apparently also in Sherlock, Peaky Blinders, Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah, a guy who's working. (laughs) He's out here and all this stuff. Okay, so then that's on us to notice him more, and I'll make it a point, too. Oh, he's in the Willow TV show, Emmett. Oh, no way. Okay, that's just yet another reason to watch the Willow TV show. Cinema Bums, brought to you by Willow TV. Okay, for my MVP, you guys have taken the two I would have first gone for. So I guess I'm going to give it to the twins. Just absolutely (laughs) terrifying and a big part of the reason why I would never want to watch this movie again. (laughs) Just some of the most scary children have ever been on TV. I'm shocked you didn't go with uh, Daniel Malik who voices and plays <laughs> Captain Black Phillip. <laughs> the voice is good. The voice is the good. Voice it's is good. got cool layers. The voice was scary because I didn't think he ever talked. I was like ready for, for that to never happen. And then it comes out and I was like, whoa. What I love about the moment is she's almost ready to believe like, oh, this is doesn't happen. I think she like yeah. even says that or turns away and then he talks and it's like, it's all real. Okay, final thoughts on The Witch. Anything else we want to mention? These were things that came to my mind when I watched this that we haven't mentioned, which was Goya. Any Goya paintings? I feel like this whole movie like could have been encapsulated in a Goya painting. Hmm. And if you like this movie, you like might like Suspiria. Uh, I feel like this has like similar vibes throughout, and Hmm. and obviously witches yeah either the remake or the old one either of them would be great and i feel like both of those are like in this world of basically if you like that last scene (laughs) and then the vibe of the movie you'll probably really like suspiria i feel like that suspiria remake is one that has kind of gotten forgotten in this modern trend of horror and yeah i think it's really good i think it's great i think that last scene in the remake is absolutely like if you think this last scene is weird that last scene is bonkers Bonkers. The weirdest thing I've ever watched. It, that's not a tight movie. You're like two hours and 12 minutes in, and then stuff really goes off the rails, and you're like, well, <laughs> I'm in. So, <laughs> ready to see, see whatever happens. So much of it feels like it is like a serious Cold War drama about like dancers hating each other and like having affairs. And then, like, like you say, two hours in. You just like it goes completely sideways, and you're like, "Oh, although the, the witch stuff is not a metaphor." Hold up, not a metaphor. Good to know. The remake and the the original do it differently, but it's an example of the movie that does let you wait a little bit to figure out if the witches are real or not, right? Versus this movie that's like, you know, you see a witch bathing themselves in baby blood early on. No other thoughts, though. I think this is a great movie. I think the only thing that might hold some people back is the dialogue dialect. And the only thing I would knock on the Ralph Emerson's performance is 
that I just can't understand him half of this movie. Like, mm. I, I wish I would have put subtitles on so, because sometimes he's like aggressively whispering something or just like mumbling something. And I'm like, enunciate, please, sir. Yeah. Otherwise, fantastic movie. Emmett, final thoughts? I read this really interesting thing that said whether you grew up in a rural or urban neighborhood when you were a kid had to do with your navigational skills as an adult. And I think like so much of this movie is about like the fear of like the isolation of being like left alone out in the woods in nature, especially for her because she is coming. She's like the child who remembers England. So, like, it's especially horrifying for her because she remembers living in a nice house, living somewhere, like, more, like, civilized. And now she's basically regressed. Like, her family and her life has regressed so much that it's, like, this fear of of isolation and, like, that fear of being lost. And so, like, all of that was kind of what I was thinking about. It's an especially freaky movie for me right now because I live out in the middle of nowhere. And, like, when you live out in the middle of nowhere... Apparently, you're better at navigation, is what this article says, but you also get freaked out more easily about stuff because it's just like, yeah, like that could be out there. You know, you feel you do feel very isolated and like you feel like there's a a lot of water between me and civilization, you know, or something like that for them. There's a lot of woods between them and any other people. I mean, that's like a kind of isolation that we can't even imagine in this day and age. But if you get, like, even a fraction of it, like, it sends shivers down your spine. And I think, like, that's the true horror for me of this movie is, like, the thinking about, like, yeah, she has zero choice at the end of this movie. Where is she going to go other than into the woods with the witches? Like, straight up, she is dead any other way you slice it. She can't stay on the farm by herself and make enough food to survive. She can't, like, go back to the village or the people there will kill her. So it's like, what is she going to do? Getting that butter. Get that butter. Growing up in the middle of nowhere in Vermont on a dirt road in an old farmhouse. Like, there was times when I would sneak out. And if it was, like, a, a low, I don't know what you call it, low moon, no moon, where mm-hmm. basically the full moon has happened recently. Now there's not much of a moon anymore. It mm-hmm. would be, like, pitch black. And I'd be like, nah, I'm not going to sneak out. I got to walk a quarter <laughs> of a mile to get to the end of my road. I'm just not gonna. Like, yeah. It's <laughs> too much. Yeah. No real final thoughts for me on this one, other than it's really good and I'm glad we got to talk about it. And I don't think, at least in the history of our podcast, maybe of any podcast, has there ever been a harder lane shift than watching Paddington 2 last week and watching this <laughs> this week. No kidding. <laughs> really took me for a whirl. Okay, now it is time for our favorite part of each and every episode bums the word our quiz game where i have movies that i will be giving you hints about whoever guesses the movie first gets a point whoever has the most points at the end wins it's just gonna be movies about witches it's just witches movies that's the theme oh boy i really tried to have a fun theme and none of them really worked so we're doing which movies which movies are we doing which wait which movies I was initially which movies? Which movies I was initially did you trying say? to do movies that had the in front of it? Oh. But it turns out most movies have a the instead. Should look for ones that have the the. the. That's <laughs> yeah. what I used to call this movie was the VV Witch. The Witch. I think it's another reason why I didn't see this movies in theaters. I said that's a stupid name. Why well, put two V's in there? <laughs> 
Okay. Film number one. This is another another movie that could have two V's in it if it chose to. Uh, this is a 1939 musical film adapted from a novel. That's all we get? Singing in the Rain? <laughs> no. Oh, it's about witches. The bell. It's a bell. Nope. They play bongo drums in it. Nope. All no, right. Not that one. Multiple witches in this movie, not all of whom are evil, although some of them are. The lead is a child star. Oh, the Wizard of Oz. The Wizard of Oz. Yeah, yeah. I should yes. say Yellow Brick Road. That is correct. The Wizard of Oz. I gotta look up this movie. It's a great movie with Jack Lemmon in it, um, <laughs> where he plays bongo drums and he's a witch. There's a whole family of witches. <laughs> it probably didn't come out in '39, but it's worth watching. <laughs> And they play bells? No, no, no. It's It has bell with the title. Um, oh, it's a okay. movie no one's ever heard of. Okay. Bell, book, and candle? That sounds right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it. Wow. That's great. Wow. Have you seen it? No, but I've read the play. Uh, you know what? I'm going to give you an extra point for knowing that. Very well done. Thank you. Damn. Damn. <laughs> <laughs> the play is, is wild. If. Is it the same as the movie that they're like living upstairs to a bunch of, there's a bunch of witches downstairs and this guy like comes in and falls in love with one of them? Yeah. That's what I remember. And about Jack Lemmon plays the bongos. This is <laughs> a lot of what I remember. <laughs> it's pretty good. Okay. Film number two. This is a 1993, I'm going to say kids horror movie. Uh, a scary movie for kids, maybe. Yeah. yeah. Witches. No, it is not The Witches, although that is later on this list, so I'll just go ahead and give it to you. Hell yeah. Yeah, that was actually the next one, is 1990s, The Witches. Is this Halloween Town? No, but you you got the right vibe of Disney Channel staple. They all have witch in the title? No. Oh, oh okay. Halloween Town 2, Zazbazar's Revenge. <laughs> <laughs> no. Also, the first one was The Wizard of Oz. Witch's Brew? <laughs> no, come on, guys, come on. People at home are screaming at you. Okay, this film, 1993, Kids Horror, made by Disney. Three adult actresses playing the bad guys and then a bunch of kids as sort of the heroes. A big flop when it released on July 16th, 1993. Pretty crazy for a scary movie, although it's sort of just played every year on Disney Channel and Disney Plus, and now it's like the most iconic Halloween family-friendly scary movie. Oh, what's it called? I like know the one. It's like got the three witches. It's not Witches of Waverly Place. Mm -mm. This is what I thought Witches was. (laughs) You're talking the one, like the probably the most well-known like Halloween movie. Everybody loves it. Isn't that the old singing actress in it? What's her name? Are you talking about Bette Midler? Bette Midler. There you go. Bette yeah. Midler's in it. Bette Midler, Sarah Jessica Parker. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. With the, she's got a nose growth. <laughs> Looking for a title. <laughs> Anyone have a title? <laughs> um, is it... Jessica Parker's nose growth. It's not Witch's Brew. <laughs> no. Witch Witch. <laughs> witch okay. Witch Sandwich Chain Witch Witch. I'm shutting it down. This film is Hocus Pocus. Yeah, that's How it. Are you I thought it was called that? Witches. Those are real words. <laughs> yeah, but I knew Bette Midler was in it. <laughs> Isn't that a quarter of a yeah, point? Like, come on, that should count for something. <laughs> okay. Okay, I'm giving a point twenty five to Taylor for that. Hell yeah. 
pretty good. Watched it last year for the first time. Pretty good. You know, I've never gotten the Sarah Jessica Parker thing. And then I watched that movie and I was like, oh, I get it. Yeah, sure. Okay, film number four. This is a 1996 teen horror. This is one of those 90s high schoolers. 90s high schoolers, teens, and witches, presumably. Sabrina the Teenage Witch? Mm-mm. Bewitched. Nope. You know, I've dated two self-professed witches in the past, and I know very little about witch culture or witch movie culture. It's in the same vein as a scream, as an I know what you did last summer. It's like one of that type of like flashy, sexy, cool teen horror. Jennifer's Body. No, that's kind of the vibe, though. This got a sequel two years ago, if that's any help at all. Wait, first movie was in 96, and then you got a sequel in... 2020? Yep. Damn. Bill and Ted? (laughs) Okay, this movie is The Craft. The Craft. Four high school girls who become witches. That seems cool. We're really good at witch movies. (laughs) Okay, moving right (laughs) along. Focus, focus. Movie number five. This is a 1999 horror film. This movie is sort of the center of a big real life crazy marketing campaign where people weren't sure if it was real or Blair Witch Project. Oh, Blair Witch. That movie is very scary. When I first saw that, it really messed me up. Yeah. Not to interrupt the the game. What I really think that movie does well is it steals a crucial scary scene from, from Psycho where you see the reveal that Patrick Bates has actually been playing his mother the whole time in the basement. He's in the basement. He turns around. And it's like a terrifying yeah. scene. And spoilers you get that for same, Psycho. Yeah. Uh, sorry. Spoilers for both of these movies. <laughs> and you get that same terrifying thing when um, when at the end of the Blair Witch Project, she's in the basement and doesn't the guy's there, right? Her, her friend is there. Pretty spooky. All right, we're halfway through. We've got five more. The score is currently two points. Emmett, 2.25 points. Taylor, still anyone's game. That 25 points really pulling you ahead there. Movie number six is a 2005 fantasy film adapted from a novel. Both the movie and the novel are the start of a franchise. Twilight. No. A little bit younger than Twilight. This is sort of a kid's fantasy series, I would say. Harry Potter? Uh, no, older than that. The book series is older than that, although not the movies. The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Chronicles yes, of Narnia. that is correct. Chronicles, Chronicles of, Narnia. of Narnia. The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. I want to guess Twilight, even though there's no witches in that movie. <laughs> <laughs> You've guessed Twilight for everyone so far. <laughs> Next movie. This is a 2014 musical, sort of an ill-advised film adaptation of a classic Broadway musical. Wicked? Nope. Twisted? Is what the movie's called? It's all about fairy tales. Whole bunch of fairy tale creatures in this. Into the woods. Into the woods. That is correct. Well done. Uh, They came at the same time, so I'm giving both a point for that. That movie wasn't good. That movie uh, has James Corden as its lead. I think we've all forgotten that. But that was before he had the show. That was when he was like a serious theater actor. Yeah. Wow. Maybe like six months after that, he got the the talk show. They said, did you see this man in End of the Woods? Get him a talk show. (laughs) Get this man out of movies. Movie number eight. This is a 2014 fantasy film. It is a prequel. This is a live action movie that is a prequel to an animated movie from a weird perspective. From which year you said? 2014. 
one of these ones that people don't really talk about and like quietly was a gigantic box office hit. And I think got at least one sequel itself that did not do quite as well. A prequel to an animated movie? Mm-hmm. But it was live action? And it somehow related to witches? Sort of about the villain of the original. M- Maleficent? Yes. Maleficent. Oh, whoa. The only reason I remember is because it was such a big box office hit. And I was like, was this Jolie or was this actually a good movie? And I never watched it to find out. Okay, we've got two more right now. Emmett with four points. Taylor with 4.25. Still anyone's game. Movie number nine, a 1982 horror film. This is a threequel, although it is trying. It is completely disconnected from the first two movies. This is Halloween 3, Season of the Witch. Wow, well done. Damn. I figured you might be able to call Halloween 3, but I wasn't sure if anyone would get the subtitle. Bet Midler can't save me now. Let me see. No, if you take this next one, Taylor, you win. So it's all come down to this. Movie number 10. This is a 1975 sci-fi kids movie. It's adapted from a book. I'm actually kind of worried that no one will get this. This is a movie I watched a lot growing up, but I'm not sure if anyone else did. It's a live-action Disney movie from that period where Disney was like, nah, we're going to do weird things. 1975? 1975. Disney? It's the start of a franchise for Disney. Five films in this series. The most recent one came out in 2009 and starred The Rock. Jumanji. Mm -mm. Is it Escape to Witch Mountain? It is! No way. Damn. Incredible. Incredible. Have you seen Escape to Witch Mountain, Emmett? I have. I've not seen the newer ones, but I have seen the original and maybe Return to Witch Mountain or whatever the first sequel is Mm -hmm. in the 70s or 80s. Return from Witch Mountain. Oh, Return from Witch Mountain. Escape to Return from. Yes, Return from is the one that has Christopher Lee as the bad guy. My parents got us Rugrats Go to Paris and Homeward Bound on VHS and said, y'all are good. (laughs) And then like 12 years later, they got us The Forgotten and The Terminal (laughs) on DVD. And they said, y'all are good. (laughs) So I've seen those four movies a lot. I think about that often, like the eight DVDs I had that I watched all the time in high school. Wait, no one has seen Tom Hanks' The Terminal more than me. I watched that movie a thousand times growing up. Is it good? I've never seen it. It's actually great. It's worth watching. Congratulations, Emmett, on winning the game. Thank you, Taylor, for being here. Anything you want to plug or anywhere that people can find you online while you're here? Uh, they can find me on Twitter at Yo Dorset. Or on YouTube, <laughs> a professional technical interviewee. Probably if you search Taylor Dorset, it'll show up too. Um, and there I do technical interview podcasts, uh, as well as impressions of <laughs> Robert Eager's stepfather. <laughs> <laughs> Robbie, Robbie, come in here just a minute. Have you ever considered having two film podcasters pretending to be software developers on your show at the same time? You know, the part of me that like knows honestly more theater people than engineering people is like, what if I just kept doing the show, but it was just theater people and then it was kind of funny. (laughs) And they were wearing the glasses and mustache and pretending to be tech developers. 
Yeah. You do the stepbrothers where you both wear a tuxedo. We could each get like we could each pair up with a, a real person and be like, we're just I'm just gonna be you and you're gonna coach me and then I'm gonna be like a funny version of you for this for this video. You know what I mean? That's what I'm talking about. That's a lot but you have to lean away every time to hear what they say. Yeah, <laughs> I exactly. ask a question, then you go, this is a video <laughs> podcast. <laughs> You're getting the answers on the feed, like Johnny Depp on Broadway. He's <laughs> getting everything fed in. To be fair, theater people and software developers probably look pretty similar. Okay, well, we will be back in 15 weeks talking about Jordan Peele's Nope. Next week, talking about The Lighthouse. Very excited for that. Until then, Emmett, any parting words for the listeners? Would the lights live like delicious, like delicious, Cinema Bums is a production of DKG Podcasts. It is created and produced by Emma Temple and me, Wade Lawrence Holloman. I also edit and mix the podcast. Our theme music is by Zane Holloman, who you can find on Bandcamp, and our show art is by Autumn Beckner. Our social media is managed by Laura Bennett. If you like what you hear, please tell all your friends and leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, the two best ways to spread the word about our work. You can also follow us on Instagram at cinemabums or email us at cinemabumspod at gmail.com. Don't flake on us. We'll be back next week 